I'm going to just come right out with it. I think, I know, actually, I'm going to say I know, all right? I know every one of us has obstacles that need conquered. Every single one of us. Now, some of you are looking at me like, yeah, like a long list. And, and some of us don't have a lot. It's a great season. But every one of us do. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to go through, and this is kind of the, uh, a, a past private conversation with me and God where I feel like God laid on my heart four, four obstacles that you and I are not good at. And I'm, I, hope you caught, I put me in there for those of you like, no, that you and I are not good at. This is very specific to, to all of us, Fountain Springs, and even I would say our region. So it's the same series, fellows at RCMU, East, West, we're all going to conquer our obstacles. So for some, this will be painful. For some, this will be freeing. <laughs> but we're going to talk about obstacles. Obstacles are not new to you and I. You've been having them since you were a baby. You just don't remember some of them. When you wanted to go somewhere and you physically couldn't actually go there, and you just looked at it, and so you cried. And that was your method. And, and you, eventually you learned how to crawl. Some of you, you did it. Good job. Uh, some of you eventually then learn how to talk and walk, and the obstacles have not stopped. Yay! <laughs> Even as a baby and all the way through, and for those of you who are seasoned in life, you'd be like, yep, they, they keep coming. The obstacles are sometimes new every season, and there's obstacles. And you and I are going to conquer them because we are in dangerous territory. Because there's a ton of us who look at the obstacles and say, mm, no, I'm going to camp out right in front of it. I'm done. You look at the obstacle. You whine about the obstacle. You talk to other people about the obstacle. You talk about how it's not fair that obstacle's there. You talk about how it's your parents' fault the obstacle's there. And there's all these like, it's the government's fault. It's whatever's fault. You and I are going to conquer them. And the four, I think you will find extremely relevant to your life. Now, I want to have a very serious conversation with you at the beginning. Because there are obstacles in your life. Well, frankly, some of them are your fault. I've got obstacles in my life. Some of them are my fault. But there is a very specific entity putting obstacles in your life. That's what I want to press into. In fact, I would tell you there is a nasty, horrible, hateful, call him a person called Satan, the devil, Lucifer. I don't know how you learned about him, but he is evil and he hates everything about you. He hates me. He hates anything that's good that's in my life and your life. And in fact, from what I can understand from what the Bible teaches us about the devil is his ultimate Joy in life is for you and I to get conquered by our obstacles. He throws them in front of you and I, and it, just not to be super morbid with you, but right now, according to what we've learned in the Bible, he is plotting not for just the person sitting on your right or your left, not for the person just with you right now, but he is plotting for each of us to figure out how to make us trip, fall, crash, burn out, blow up, and die. And I know you're like, this is way too intense of a sermon. But if we're going to overcome and conquer our obstacles, we need to be clear that the fact is all the obstacles in your life are not just you or someone else, that there is an evil one at work trying to destroy you. 
Let me give you one of the references in the Bible. John 10, 10. I'll show it to you here in a second. Maybe we won't. No? We got it? No, we got it. Here we go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So I would say I've accurately described him so far. He's nasty. He has no good intentions. There is not an ounce. There is not a good side. There is not a good day, a good moment for the devil. There is nothing. And you're like, can we talk about, this is the person that we are allowed to publicly trash. I don't, it's, it's, it's politically correct and politically incorrect. I'm telling you, the devil is horrible. And for our entire life, he is plotting against you and I. Now, it doesn't have to stay depressing. Like some of you continue to read the verse, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The, the thief in reference to the devil, Satan. Uh, I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you see now, I don't know how you, you see life, but according to the Bible, according to God, here's how it works. You and I don't just battle against flesh and blood. It's not just what you and I see, is that there is a good versus evil. There is God, there is Jesus himself trying to help you and I experience life to the full, and there's the devil trying to do the very opposite. And many of us, when we're going to conquer our obstacles, you need to know that you are not alone. You are not the only one that the devil has singled out, even though if you're like me, there's days I wonder, you're like, what's your problem, man? Like, there's other people. And they're like, well, that's kind of bad. But I'm just saying, you think about, like, it seems like you're the only one with the target. And for us to conquer this, we've got to understand that Many, if not most, of the obstacles in our lives are not our fault. But it does not change the fact that we must conquer them. So let's get beyond the blame game of who put them there. And let's kick their tail. That's not, okay, oh, you're interested, hopefully. So let me, let's talk about the first obstacle, what I have titled obstacle of dysfunction. The obstacle of dysfunction, by the way, is horrible. I, some of you, you grew up in dysfunction. You grew up in the setting where it was uh, awkward to invite friends over because of mom and dad or mom or dad or grandma or the weird uncle. Uh, many of us have worked in dysfunction. You're like, how do you know? Yeah, trust me. Some of us go to school in dysfunction. There's dysfunction. In fact, I would say for many of us, dysfunction is no longer dysfunction. It's normal. And to have something actually work the way it's supposed to, if you don't know the meaning of dysfunction, it's when things are not going right. So when things do go right, when you encounter someone who is normal and healthy, you're like, I don't know what to do with you, so we got to break up. See, it's fascinating that you and I have this tendency that in the midst of dysfunction, we settle or become dysfunctional ourselves. That's why if you've parented, you say things you said you'd never say. When you work 
you realize that you sometimes have the tendencies that you hate in your other coworkers and your boss. It's why we find ourselves in moments doing things and saying things that we're like, I've been mad at others for doing this. This obstacle of dysfunction, you and I need to conquer it. Some of us have resigned to it. We're like, dysfunction, I grew up in it. I came from it. I live in it. So I'm just going to ignore it. And let me, let me tell you something about an obstacle. An obstacle, you either submit to it or you conquer it. It does not say, oh, you don't want to conquer me? Then I'm going to leave you. <laughs> no, it just stays there. And either, either it wins or you win. And if you have any competitive spirit in your heart, <laughs> that's not let it win. Because I would tell you, our kids, our friends, our schools, our workplaces, our world needs you and I to start conquering some of these things. Now, dysfunction, I thought this was interesting. I love history. I hated history. It's fascinating for me to even say that. But I, I, I now love history. My wife loves history. She teaches me to love it even more. And I thought, I wonder what's some good examples of dysfunction. And I found one that I thought was a bit absurd and crazy because one of our First ladies, Eleanor Roosevelt. See, when you and I have a tendency to see someone in public or they've been elected or they've just achieved something pretty cool, you're like, oh, must have been nice. You must have had an easy road. <laughs> well, then when you and I get to discover their history, it's pretty incredible. Eleanor Roosevelt, one of our first ladies. Let me tell you just a little bit of what she grew up around. She was born and began to grow up a little bit, and her mom felt like she was ugly but not only felt like her daughter was ugly, she told people in front of Eleanor. They would have parties over at their house and the conversation would be with all these other people about how ugly her daughter was and she hopes she grows out of it. If you're wondering what that is, that's called dysfunctional. That's like a breakdown of, that's not the way it's supposed to go. And regularly, there was a conversation about how ugly she was, and they hoped that she'd grow out of it and things would change. And you're thinking, that's destroying her. So it got so bad that she began to own some of what was being said. Some of you have experienced that. She began to own it. And not like say, no, I'm not. Begin to say, maybe I am. But then it, then it all stopped. See, it, at a young age, her mom died. And so then she's being raised by just her dad, who was dysfunctional himself, it got so bad in her home that she got sent off to be raised by her grandma. Now, most of us are like, oh, good, good. Well, that actually didn't go great. See, uh, she had other relatives that would come over to her house. This is one of her first ladies. An uncle would come over, drunk typically. He was an alcoholic, and he would shoot at the neighbors and their kids with a gun. You're like, sounds like my family. Like, how'd they know? See, these are stuff that they don't talk about on Inauguration Day. They don't talk about. This is one of our first ladies. Eventually, it got so bad, even grandma was like, you can't be raised here and sent her off to a boarding school. That's called dysfunctional, okay? Some of you have worse stories than what I just told you. See, there is dysfunction now. There's been dysfunction in our history. In fact, I can walk you back to a story. Of course, it's a story in the Bible of a guy who grew up in dysfunction. So here's what we're gonna do during this series. One of my heroes, his name's Joseph. 
Not, not Joseph and Mary and Jesus Joseph. Another Joseph in the Old Testament. He's one of my heroes because he had more obstacles in his life than I've ever had. Crazy obstacles. So each week, we're going to open up his life in the Bible, and we're going to look at one of the obstacles he's faced that I think you and I are facing now, and we're going to learn from it. And I'm going to tell you, yes, he had the obstacle of dysfunction. I'll give you a bit of history to this. His dad was Jacob. Jacob also got the name Israel. So when I read to you some verses, you'll read about Israel. You'll be like, I thought he said Jacob. It's the same dude. So this dad had problems that you can read about all day long if you want to in your Bible. It's in Genesis. You'll read about it, first book of the Bible. But his dad liked Joseph a lot and brought about all this dysfunction. The brothers, he had tons of, tons of brothers, Joseph did, had a dad. And you've got this family that doesn't operate the way they're supposed to operate in any way. And I'm going to show you how they did not operate well. You might find a lot of like, I think that's my family. So let me show you this in the Bible. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Remember, we still with Jacob. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. You're already like going, I don't think that's good. Uh, because he had been born to him in his old age. So it's nothing that Joseph did, but just decides, mm, you came late, I like you. And he made an ornate robe for him to publicly declared, this is my favorite kid. Some of you are like, that's weird. But it, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, so if you're wondering, like, do other people know about this? Yes, other people know about this. They hated him. You're like, yeah, I would too. And could not speak a kind word to him. So you got a family that already has like this dysfunction. You got a dad who has a favorite kid and he's not being quiet about it. So if you were to study before what I just read to you and after what I just read to you, I thought I would isolate some dysfunctions that you might relate to. Here's the first one, passive parenting. You're like, that's a, that's a dysfunction. See, Joseph's dad had a problem. He didn't fully enjoy leading the house. <laughs> In fact, he oftentimes would make the boys, the brothers, go out and do everything. He was passive about everything. If there was a big problem, he's like, well, I don't know what we'll do. He was passive about it. And I think, that, I think some of you are catching this. I think we live in a time where there's a lot of passive parenting, where we're letting the kids make choices that five-year-olds are not capable of making. If you ever have never witnessed this, go to the mall for 30 seconds. <laughs> go to a restaurant where many parents have decided because of a fear of public embarrassment, we've chosen the role of passive parent. Some of you may have grown up in this where your parents just flat out weren't involved in your life. That's dysfunctional. Let me show you another one. Favoritism. Favoritism. Now, I, I, was, this is kind of the obvious one. I mean, Joseph got like a special robe and all. They've, they've done a Broadway show out of it. You get this. You understand what I'm talking about. But favoritism. Now, some are like, oh, that's so wrong, David. I don't, I, that's, how could anyone do it? Oh, it happens all the time. When one kid achieves, 
And we begin to not even on purpose, but tell the story of just one of our children to everyone that we meet, while the other children are going, I wish I could achieve like so-and-so. When the whole house becomes directed and pointed on the one who is achieving, do you understand that that's favoritism? And you and I have to guard ourselves against that. You might not be buying special robes, which would be weird, but you might be doing something that's showing favoritism. Here's another dysfunction, arrogance. Arrogance was a dysfunction in this house. You're like, who was arrogant? I'll tell you who was arrogant. Joseph. You're like, oh, no, no, I thought Joseph was like the good guy. He is the good guy. But he also brought arrogance into this story. You may not know, because and you got to read this, Joseph obviously was the favorite kid, but he also was getting dreams from God. He got dreams from God, and these dreams revealed to Joseph, hey, one day your brothers, your whole family, they're going to bow down to you. Now, some of you would keep that a secret because you know you're going to get beat up if you tell your brothers. Joseph was so arrogant, he's like, hey, guess what? I had a dream. You guys are going to worship me. Yeah! That's called arrogance. When you flaunt your favor. And Joseph was guilty of flaunting all of this favoritism when he was young. He hadn't learned tact yet. And although those dreams were true, just because it's true doesn't mean you post it online. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> Let me show you another one. There was jealousy. Some of us know this has been in your family, or is it your workplace? Come on. Jealousy, where it bugs you that someone else got something. When someone, one of your friends, your friends, or someone around you gets a car, gets a house, gets something that's in the paper, or somehow achieves in some way, it's even your own family members. Some of us are going, that's great. I hate your guts. So you're finding the Bible's not so uh, outdated, is it? And you saw that when I read it to you. The brothers were like, yeah, we hate him. Let me show you one last one. Deception was a dysfunction in this home. Now, I haven't read this to you yet. So you're like, deception. I'm about to read to you the deception that began to occur. But what you needed to hear was this. Is when there is a dysfunction in your home, in your workplace, in your school, with your friends. When there's dysfunction, I'm going to tell you something that's inevitable. Deception is on the way. Because as soon as dysfunction happens, you will have folks trying to cover up or manipulate what's going on. So deception is going to be knocking at the door. Deception is going to be like, hey, you, you can't tell people about this. In fact, you need to kind of cover that up and make that a little prettier. See, it sounds like, how in the world does the Bible know my life? <laughs> this is so good. That's why we got to go through this as a church. So deception, let me show it to you in the actual story. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now, this because his dad said, hey, go check on your brothers. Make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Some of you are like, why didn't he go? Mm, good. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So if you're wondering, where's their anger level at? Is it at a 1 or a 10? They're at the place now, they're like, we're going to kill this guy. Uh, here comes that dreamer. Remember I talked to you about the dreams? He was having dreams, and he kept telling them about the dreams. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of those cisterns. There was these deep holes. where, they, And they say that a ferocious animal devoured him. 
Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So they begin to plot. We're going to kill our own brother because we're tired of, and they had a whole list of it. Eventually, they, they, they realized, okay, that's not maybe going to be the world's best option to actually kill him. So they decide to fake his death. Somehow, some moral happened in there that they decided not to kill him. And I'll show you, verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe after they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Let me, let me fill in some of the blanks. What they decided to do was not kill their brother, but to sell him off into slavery. You're like, whoa, a dark family. They, they decided, oh, we're not going to kill him. We have some high morals here. We're just going to sell him off to slavery. And he got sold off into slavery, and then they brought back to dad this whole made-up, deceptive story going, your favorite son's dead. That's dysfunctional. So my question for you is, is I don't know if you've made any of this personal. See, I can't, I can't talk in front of you and say, all right, here's how to fix everyone's dysfunction. Come on. You can't force people to do what they should do. You know that. I can't do that. You can't do that. In fact, we believe strongly that God changes people. I can't change you. For those of you who are married long enough and you've tried to change your spouse, I would just suggest that you stop it. <laughs> you can't change people, but you can make sure that you aren't dysfunctional. I don't know if you remember how I kind of leaked that in at the beginning. How oftentimes we live in dysfunction and then we become dysfunctional ourselves. So I can't preach to you and say, here's the exact thing to say to your uncle to make him stop being weird and messed up. But what you and I can do to conquer the obstacle, to conquer the trap that the devil is setting for you, is for you and I to look at to make sure that we're not being dysfunctional. It's to make sure that you and I are not falling into this trap where we spend all our time talking about how bad and messed up everybody else is, all the while becoming jealous, arrogant people. So, does the Bible, does God actually give us guidance on how to actually be a healthy person in a healthy relationship? I would tell you yes. And in fact, we get clear instruction on what to do and how to do it, and it's awesome. So I need you to stop thinking about just the dysfunctional people in your life, okay? I mean it. Like, stop it right now. And I want you thinking about you, okay? And let me show you something in Colossians. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. You're like, holy, I don't know if I'm holy. There's some better definitions if you dig into this. Holy means set apart. That when you, when you give your life to Jesus, when you say, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna accept forgiveness, mercy, grace, I'm gonna own this, I'm gonna follow Jesus, and I'm gonna do life Jesus' way. You are then set apart. Not better than other people, but you are set apart. 
And this is what this is getting at. Since God chose you to be set apart, set apart people that he loves, you must, he's like, so here's what you do. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what I would tell you is this. If you want to know what a healthy relationship looks like, some of you are like, please tell me, haven't seen one, haven't experienced one. Because do we not live in a messed up world where many of us have lived with, spent time with, just been around people who have fallen into the traps that the devil set? And many of us have encountered relationships that are far from healthy, and we are in danger of becoming unhealthy ourselves, even dysfunctional. So I made a list, and you're going to guess where I got it from. Healthy indicators. Let me show this to you. I got it from the Bible. This is what that verse just listed. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what I would tell you is this. These are the characteristics of a healthy relationship. Now, I know that you can't make other people this, and that's why I had to tell you and warn you. (laughs) This isn't about the other person anymore. This is about you and I. The problem is, is many of us would be like, Man, David, I'm really good at all that. (laughs) Well, let's have a conversation about that. Let's look at mercy. Okay, I know many of us are good at mercy, receiving it. When we mess up, come on, nobody's, nobody's perfect. Come on, show me some grace here. Mercy, yeah, David, come on. We We need more mercy in relationships. I understand that that you and I love mercy to receive it. We love especially when we have a breakdown, when we have a a catastrophic moment in our lives, when we realize, hey, I did mess up. Mercy, so, I mean, it's when you tell someone, come on, it's time to get over this. Like I said, I was sorry. Give me mercy, I need mercy, come on. Jesus gave us mercy, I get that, I get that. But you know, you know that mercy is not just something that you receive, right? And some of us just need this simple reminder. You might be in a dysfunctional relationship, workplace, school, whatever, wherever you're at. If you are, then do not let the lack of mercy that you're receiving cause a deficit of what you give. And many of us have allowed that to happen. Like, well, when you say you're sorry, then I'll say I'm sorry. And we've returned to five years old again. That's what dysfunction does. And so I know I give you that list, and you're like, yeah, I, man, David, I'm really good at all this. I can't wait to show this to so-and-so. <clears throat> are you as good at giving mercy as you think you are? Let, let me help. When someone messes up at work, are you quick to offer mercy? When your children do something they should not have done, are you quick to give mercy? Do I even need to say it about marriages? I don't think we're as quick at giving mercy as fast as we demand it. 
in a very simple word that's put in a very simple passage in the Bible. You want a healthy relationship? Learn to get good and fast. Fast at giving mercy. Kindness. You're like, I got this. Yeah, I'm a kind person, David. Open up the door every time for anyone who needs it. I smile at people. I wave at the person who drives by me. I I know we think we're kind. I I know that. I think I'm kind. I actually, despite popular belief, I think I'm a nice person. I think think I'm actually kind. I think that there's moments I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not a mean person. So because I'm, I'm not mean, I'm kind. Well, now i got to tell you a story that's embarrassing. <laughs> we were visiting my parents in Kansas City. Now, here's what you do if you ever visit Kansas City. It's very simple. Go eat barbecue. <laughs> if you don't know what to do, I'm in Kansas City. What should I do? Well, Pastor David said eat barbecue. You're welcome. So we are at a barbecue place, and the family is sitting down, and it's my dad and I, waiting to get the food to take it to the table. And we're talking. But then my dad interrupts the conversation. He's like, hey, can I have a, can I have a fatherly conversation with you? I'm like, sure. I'm an open book, Dad. Come on. He says, I've noticed something. You, you treat one of your kids differently than the other two. And he didn't have to go into much more detail than that. He did. He began to explain. He's like, I watch you when you're with one of your kids. And you aren't as emotional with them. You you kind of withhold some emotion. You're a bit more cold with that kid. And the other two, you're pretty endearing. Pretty warm. And it broke my heart because I knew exactly which kid And because I had some struggles with this kid, we were not getting along really well. And I was like, you've got to, you should be. I had stopped being kind to my own kid. A lot of times we think kindness is like not hurting people, not screaming at them. But sometimes... Not being kind means you're just treating them different. And I would say many of us would say, I'm kind. But maybe you actually have a blind spot. And that's what I'm here for. (laughs) To help you see that maybe you aren't as kind to all of the people in your life as you think you are. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm telling you a story about me where I learned from my own dad recently that I'm not as kind to each of my children. And I've had to make some adjustments. Because I refuse to let that obstacle win in my family. And you got to know, sometimes it's a choice. It's tough, isn't it? Let's go to humility. Um, now, I know, again, humility is another one where like, I got this one nailed. Because many of us think that that humility is not bragging about yourself. You're like, you, don't, you don't say, hey, everyone, just so we're all clear, I am the most amazing person in the room right now. 
I, mean, I know that we think, that we think that's, that's arrogance and we think that that's the ugly part. But boy, have I learned about humility through the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph, our character that is from a dysfunctional family. But remember I told you that Joseph had a bit of an arrogance problem? Let me go more into detail about this. See, Joseph, like I told you, was having these dreams from God about how great his future life was going to be. The problem was Joseph then began to spout that off to everybody around him and began to say, hey, everybody, I'm amazing. Let me show you something about Joseph. This has been very insightful for me. Joseph was more focused on how the dreams affected him rather than how they affected his family. And see, in there, we begin to see a lack of humility. If you're not transferring this to your own life, let me help you. Some of us are more focused on how life is affecting us rather than how life is affecting the people around us. And if you're more focused and consumed with how well your life is going, perhaps you have a hint of arrogance. Because you might not be bragging about how amazing you are, but I wonder about how many of your conversations are all about you. I wrote down some questions. You're like, I don't want to hear these questions, David. Please do not read them. Please do not read them. I'm going to read them. Uh, when you enter a room, when you go to school, when you show up at work, when you come home from work, are you focused on what you can give or on what you can get? Are you focused on what you can give or get? If it's always about what you can get, well, I think you can finish that. When you meet with someone, are you consumed with being known or making them feel like they are known? Again, like I told you, I know you don't like my questions, but I wanted to show you a difference. Joseph, who's like, hey, all of you are going to bow down to me. I'm amazing. God's going to give me power and favor. It's going to be amazing. Let me show you another guy. I think you'll know this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. If, if you didn't catch it, Jesus knew that all power in all heaven and earth was at his command. All power. Like, if you want sweet tea and ribs, boom, it's right there on the table. And there's healing people and things like that, too. <clears throat> Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal knowing he's got all power. He's the man. Took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, with all the power in all of the world plus some, takes that power and puts it away and served, washed the nasty feet of his students. Is that you when you walk into a room? Just saying it to you messes with me. I don't always walk into a room ready to serve anyone that I can serve. 
I'll move on. Gentleness. Gentleness, by definition, is strength under control. You're like, under, under control. And I know many of us are like, I'm gentle. And I know it's easy, to, but I just quickly, this is not going to take long. I want you processing, do you always manage your strength like you should? Sometimes when you're married or when you're parenting or when you're working with people and things get frustrated, power becomes priority. That's not gentleness. And maybe gentleness is what you're struggling with. Let's talk about patience because I knew it would be the least favorite. You're like, I don't, I don't even want patience. Some of you are literally you're saying that right now in your head. You're like, patience, I'll work on that later. I don't have time to work on patience. Come on, don't look at me like I would never. You would say that. See, patience becomes like, I don't know if that's incredibly necessary in today's world. It is. And some of us do not have healthy relationships. We have dysfunctional homes and workplaces because it's go, 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 go. There's no time. Relationships don't matter right now. Tasks. And some of us need to start getting patient. It's amazing when you care about the person how easy it is to get some patience. So these are the health indicators to a relationship. Now you and I stand at an obstacle. Don't forget what an obstacle is. It's something that you and I need to conquer. It's not going away. It's not going to dissolve, float away. It's not just going to wait for you and then all of a sudden give up on you and then just fall flat. You and I, in order to conquer an obstacle, must conquer the obstacle. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this list. And I want you to find one, one that you knew was for you. Some of you are like, no, three. Okay, go ahead and grab three or four, well, maybe all of them. But I want you to grab at least one of them. And as soon as you grab it, as soon as it's locked in your head, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want everyone to do this. Wherever you're listening from, grab one, put it into your mind, and then bow your head and close your eyes. All right, now that you've got it, now that your head's bowed and closed and your eyes closed and you're ready, go, okay, I got the one. I want you to have a conversation with God about it. Whatever it is, whatever is unhealthy in your own character, your own mind, whatever's going on with you, I want you to say, God, I need help with this. And perhaps the next statement is, God, I submit to you full authority in my life to help me with this. God, right now, on behalf of the whole church, we submit to you, we even bow our heads, acknowledging that you are the full authority, you have all power, you have all authority, you have everything, but God, We have a bunch of dysfunctional relationships. God, I know there's marriages that are broken and, and not healthy. There are relationships between kids and parents that are broken and not healthy. There are students that when they go to school, enter dysfunction. God, there's some of us 
who might be working in the midst of dysfunction or there's family breakdown elsewhere. God, I pray for everyone who's in the midst of dysfunction. God, guide our thoughts onto what we can do. God, give us power. Give us courage to overcome the obstacle of dysfunction by becoming healthy ourselves. God, you are absolutely the most amazing relationship we could ever have. And so God, we just ask that you intervene in our lives in, in, in what seems so scary and the obstacles that seem so big. I pray for everyone. God, help us to conquer this dysfunction. Remind us of the verses and remind us that you're with us. So we pray this in the name of the one we follow, the one who died for us, the one who saved us, the one who gave us this authority. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.